more reaction to the Carrollton Massacre, sensational tragedy in Granger County, Tennessee, and a double tragedy at Waverly, Tennessee, and then two men are killed in the Alamo, Tennessee jail. This and much more in this edition of A Year of Crime is reported in the newspapers of West Tennessee for the 30th of March, 1886. Please be aware that some articles published in 1886 used language that we find offensive today. It was my decision to report the articles as written during that time, in the belief that we must tell the truth about our history. These articles were reported in the Memphis Appeal. The Carrollton Massacre was brought to the attention of the House yesterday by Mr. O'Hara of North Carolina, who offered a series of resolutions empowering the Speaker to appoint a committee of five to investigate the wholesale murder. But Mr. Reagan of Texas objected to their passage on constitutional grounds, and the House adjourned. The labor riots in Belgium have grown so serious that the people are arming and forming vigilance committees for self-protection against the mobs of starving and armed beggars who assault whole towns in their urgency for immediate relief. The truth is, Belgium is overcrowded. She has too many mouths to feed, more than her productive capacity will admit of. Sensational tragedy in Granger County, Tennessee, Chattanooga, Tennessee, March 29th. News reached the city last night of a very sensational tragedy in Granger County, Tennessee. The trustee of the county was William Justice, a man universally esteemed and respected. He enjoyed the absolute confidence of the community and held the position for a number of years. On Friday, he returned from his office and deposited the money bags in his room, saying they contained $2,500, which he had collected in county taxes. He bade his wife goodbye, saying he had business in an adjoining county and would return next day. During the day, a cousin of the lady came to her house and was given a room for the night. About midnight, he was aroused by a burglar and fired on him. The thief uttered a howl of agony and fell dead. He proved to be the trustee who was endeavoring to steal the public monies and then claim he had been robbed. Double tragedy at Waverly, Tennessee, special correspondence of the appeal. Waverly, Tennessee, March 27th. News has just reached us of a terrible double tragedy in Waverly on Monday night. Hugh Collier, the brother of the sheriff of Humphreys County, and a man named Jack Page were drinking at a saloon and met at the door and fought about an old grudge. Collier called Page a most offensive epitaph, and the latter drew a knife and cut Collier in the breast, face, and arms, and thereupon Collier drew a small Derringer pistol from his vest pocket and shot Page near one of his eyes, killing him instantly. Collier will recover. Both men were intoxicated. Also on the same day and at the same place, a great big stout man attacked a boy who retreated from his assailant, but the latter was rapidly gaining on him and would soon have overtaken him, but the boy turned at bay, seized a brick bat, and hurled it at his, his pursuer, split open his face from forehead to chin, thus inflicting a very ghastly and painful, but perhaps not a dangerous wound. Public opinion was decidedly in the boy's favor. Our informant was unable to furnish us the names of the parties. The disorder in St. Louis. The situation in the East St. Louis yards this morning was one of disorder, and at times it looked as though it would be real trouble. Large crowds congregated at the relay depot and in various yards, and when an effort was made to start a freight train in the Vidalia yard, the crowd swarmed around it, drew cu coupling pins, and otherwise obstructed its movements to such a degree that the train was abandoned. In the Indianapolis and St. Louis and Nashville yards, efforts were made to make up trains, but as fast as cars were brought into position, they were uncoupled by the strikers, and finally the attempt to move them was abandoned. 
In the Wabash Yards, deputy marshals are now making up a train, and it will be sent out sometime this afternoon. No efforts were made in other yards to move trains, and probably none will be until inadequate protection is afforded by the state authorities. It is reported that Sheriff Repiquat of the St. Clair County, who was present this morning and was totally unable to control the strikers, has appealed to the governor of Illinois for military aid, but this has not been verified. About 2 o'clock this afternoon, three crowds of strikers left the relay depot and went to the yards of the Ohio and Mississippi and Chicago, Burlington and Quincy roads into the National Stark Yards and killed an engine at each place. The Wabash Road started out a train of cars at 2.30 p.m. Labor Notes Suits Against the B&O Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, March 29th. Six employees of the Baltimore, Baltimore and Ohio Railroad entered suit against the company yesterday for damages aggregating $60,000. Two other suits for $10,000 each will be commenced today. The names of the plant, plaintiffs are C.J. Churchill, William C. Achairs, James Kesey, James E. Simmons, Edward Boyle, John Norton, J.W. Arbor, and Samuel Maysville. The two latter will file their claims today. The claims are the result of the doubleheader strike, which took place last August at Glenwood. All the plaintiffs were arrested and imprisoned. The bill of charges was ignored by the grand jury. The plaintiffs now sue for damages for false arrest and imprisonment. This next article is a follow-up from one of yesterday's. Hanged in front of the jail. Vicksburg, Mississippi, March 29th. An armed mob visited the jail at 1 o'clock this morning and, after battering down the doors, secured possession of Frank Villarosa, an Italian charged with rape. The man was taken to a tree in front of the jail and hanged. Bishop and Bob Lamar, two murderers to be hanged next Thursday. The story of their crimes and how they came to be surrendered to the law. Correspondence of the Appeal. Pittsburgh, Calhoun County, Mississippi, March 27th. One of the most sensational trials ever held in this part of the state was concluded a few days ago, and as the defendants in the case will suffer the death penalty on the first of next month, I presume your readers will be interested in the details. Doc Bishop, his brother Jim, and Bob Lamar hail from the terra incognita around Sarepta. It is a wilderness indeed, nearly encircled by the Lusacuna River and heavily overgrown with timber and brush. In the branch bottoms and wild ravines of this country, the Desperado and the Moonshiner find a perfect haven of rest. The smoke of the illicit still gracefully curls, and the distiller pursues his avocation unmolested. Bold indeed would be the revenue officer, be who would seek to thread that wild labyrinth with the whole community leagued against him. Early in 1384, the persons I have named took a jaunt to Dallas, Lafayette County, in quest of fun and whiskey. They became intoxicated, and their fun resulted in the killing of two men named Harmon and the serious wounding of two others named Harrison and Kelly, who eventually recovered. For this double murder, Lamar was arrested and jailed, but escaped. One of the Bishop boys fled to Alabama, but the others surrendered and went through the form of giving bond. Eventually, the murderous trio, under a reasonable time, returned to their home in the wilds of Calhoun County, believing that the Dallas affair was forgotten. This story it actually said early in eighteen thirty eight and early in thirteen eighty four. I'm guessing it probably actually should be eighteen eighty four when this occurred. But that may be just a typo on the paper there. Can't imagine it was that long ago. 
Not long after the return, however, there came to Sarepta, Sarepta? I don't know how to pronounce that, a detective, one W.T. Wise from Fort Worth, Texas, armed with a requisition for Swafford and Marksbury, two refugees from the Lone Star State. He failed to find his men, but was incidentally learned the whereabouts of the bishops and Lamar, and on whose heads were rewards amounting to about $1,000. This Wise decided to try and secure he was stopping with Matthews, a relative of the bishops, and claimed to be a dealer in cattle, although his real occupation was, no doubt, guessed at by the people he lived with. His idea was to induce Jim Bishop to betray the other two, and that worthy pretended to fall in with his scheme. The detective planned that Jim was to get his brother and Lamar into a drinking bout, and as soon as they were well filled with liquor, to give them drugged whiskey until they were stupefied when he could easily capture them. The night of Thursday, October the 5th, 1885, Doc and Bob arranged to meet Jim at a haunt of theirs at Lucknuck Creek Bridge in the most inaccessible part of the wilderness. The latter informed Wise and arranged to go ahead, carrying the two packages of whiskey with him. As a clue for the detective, he was to drop little shreds of paper on the trail leading from Matthew's place to Lucknuck Creek Bridge. The detective started on his journey in the afternoon, but never returned. Jim Bishop did, however, next day. He told the neighbors a very plausible story of having been a half a mile ahead when he heard shooting. On returning to the place whence he had heard the firing, he could discover no trace of the detective. Thereupon, the neighbors formed a posse and went out to the scene of the meeting. Here they found, after a long search, the corpse of the unfortunate Texan literally riddled with rifle bullets. At the coroner's inquest, Amet, a relative of the bishop who was subpoenaed, declared he knew nothing of the murder, and the other witnesses, terrorized by the criminals, gave similar evidence. In the meantime, indictments for murder were found by the Calhoun County Grand Jury, and Jim Bishop surrendered himself. The other two still defied arrest, and well-armed and in the fastness of their home, were tolerably safe. When the news reached Fort Worth, ten of the friends of the murder detective formed themselves into a committee of vengeance and visited the home of the Desperados. Well-armed and equipped, they announced to the dwellers in this modern Alsatia that unless the murderers were surrendered, they would hold each man living within ten miles of the murder individually responsible for Wise's death. This settled Doc and Bob. They were given up. At the May term, 1885, of the Calhoun County Court, Bob Lamar received the death sentence for the murder of Harmons a year previous. At the September term, Jim Bishop was tried and, by a blunder on the part of the jury, was acquitted, though he was probably the greatest criminal of the three. At the March term, Doc Bishop was found guilty of the murder of Wise and sentenced to be hanged on the 15th prox. The case was a most intricate one, and that so satisfactory a result was reached was largely due, largely due to the skill of I.D. Oglesby Esquire, the district prosecuting attorney. He discovered several important clues, the principal one being the fact that Amit, a relation by marriage, had been asked to join the trio of murderers, but had refused. Judge Roan heard all the cases, the prisoners being ably defended, but unsuccessfully by Mr. Sullivan and Sullivan of Oxford and W.A. Roan of Dallas. Hostilities at an End at Parsons, Parsons, Kansas, March 29th. The aid of 150 special policemen and deputy sheriffs was insufficient to enable the company to move freight trains. The strikers crowded about the engines, regardless of commands to stand back. While a second attempt was being made this afternoon, one bold striker seized the sheriff and endeavored to drag him from the engine, and State Senator Kimball, who was standing on the cowcatcher trying to speak, was hooted down. At this juncture, news of the compromise between Gould and Powardly arrived and hostilities ceased.
The situation at Atchison, Atchison, Kansas, March 29th. The strike situation here today was very serious. The strikers, not satisfied with simply killing engines, ditched trains, stripped engines, tampered with switches, and soaked the track. The sheriff had and a strong posse of deputies manned a train at 9 o'clock this morning and ran the gauntlet with it, barely escaping a misplaced switch, and sent it safely west. In the afternoon, two trains arrived from the Omaha branch. A switch was thrown ahead of the second one, and the rail smeared with soap so that it was impossible to stop the train, which was ditched. The engine was then dismantled. The men were more reckless than at any other time during the strike. They declared that Powderly had sold them out. The company has secured a limited number of men and will endeavor to start up the, the shops to debt tomorrow. A warrant is out for about 100 strikers. The sheriff has a disciplined force of deputies and thinks he can make the arrest. An unnatural mother, the cruel murder of an innocent babe. The woman slips out of bed and escapes from the police. A case of what seems from the testimony to be a plain case of child murder was reported at the station house yesterday by Chief Cleary. It appears that a woman named Comfort Walker, who has been washing for the family of Chief Cleary, complained of being ill Sunday, and when Mrs. Cleary went to see her late in the evening, she acknowledged that a child had been born to her. She afterward told Mrs. Cleary where the child was hidden, and it had brought it out and laid on a table in her room. Justice Butenberg was sent for, and when he reached the house, found the mother in bed and the child lying upon a cot near her. She said she had been intimate with a mulatto to whom she was engaged to be married. The child's head was examined, and the skull seemed to have been broken. Justice Butenberg and Chief Clearly left the house to hunt up a jury, and when they returned, at the expiration of an hour, the mother had disappeared. Immediate search was made for her, but was unavailing. The police were notified, and at midnight had failed to discover the murderess, though it is a matter of wonder how she managed to muster sufficient strength to leave her bed, and of greater wonder still how she could sustain the fatigue of flight long enough to take her out of the reach of the Memphis police. It is a rare compliment to the department. Two men killed. Riddled with bullets in the Alamo jail, a mob of a hundred men wreak vengeance for an unprovoked murder. Passengers arriving by the Louisville and Nashville Road late yesterday afternoon report the storming of the jail and the killing of two Negroes at Alamo, Crockett County, just beyond Brownsville. A special dispatch to the appeal last Wednesday gave the peculiars of a murder for which two Negroes killed were arrested. Dan Guthrie, a white man, mild and peaceable, was passing along in front of a saloon at Alamo from which several drunken Negroes had been ejected. Without provocation, two of them jumped on him and clubbed him to death. They were arrested, but for fear that they might be lynched, they were removed to the jail at Trenton, Gibson County. Sunday evening last, they were taken back to Alamo, their trial being set for the next day. Late Sunday night, a mob of 100 men, unmasked, went to the jail, overpowered the jailer, and several of them held him prisoner while the remainder went to the cell in which the two Negroes were confined stuck the muzzles of their shotguns and pistols through the bars, and began a fuselage, which continued for several minutes. They departed without molestation, and when the jailer made his round a few minutes afterward, he found his two prisoners literally riddled with bullets and without a spark of life in their bodies. No arrest had been made. Police Court. The trial of cases in that tribunal yesterday. The following are the principal cases tried before Judge Hayden yesterday morning. George Thompson, larceny, bound over to the state. Charles Sparks, vagrancy, had his case continued until tomorrow. W.S. Robinson, vagrancy, was fined $10.
J.G. Renault, abusive language and threats to kill, case continued until tomorrow. Sam Hickerson, assault and battery, was fined $10. James A. Shawer, assault and battery and abusive language, was fined $5. S. Morty and D. Parting, assault and battery, were fined respectively $5 and $3. Harry Pump, doing business on the Lord's Day, was fined $2.75, the amount of the bill, together with the cost. D.W. Voorhees, vagrancy and swindling, case was continued until tomorrow. Patty, the bum, drunk and resisting an officer, was fined $5 in cost. C. Williams, violating house number ordinance, was continued until tomorrow. Mr. Cole, violating pipe and chimney ordinance, case was continued 10 days. Williams and company, on a similar charge, were given 10 days in which to fix it satisfactorily. Angelina Fleming and Josie Little, assault and battery, $5 each. Jesse Jackson, malicious, malicious mischief and pig killing, was fined $10. C. Smith, violating house number ordinance, continued until tomorrow. William Thompson, same, continued. Alexander Upshaw, same, continued. Jesse Ferguson, assault and battery, was discharged with orders to leave town. W. H. Palmer, violating house number ordinance, case continued two days. Willie Palmer, larceny, was turned over to Justice Quigley. William Driver, violating house number ordinance, was fined $2 in the cost. Molly Voss and Mandy Hunt, violated health ordinance, were discharged. L.S. Grant, violating house number, ordinance discharged. The next section is titled City News. Henry Williams, a chicken thief, was arrested yesterday morning with a basket filled with fowls. M.G. Anderson and George Jones, for stealing 10 barrels of potatoes from the elevator, were put on trial in the criminal court yesterday. The trial of Miss Emma Normant for killing H. Arnold, which comes before the criminal court tomorrow, is likely to be very sensational. Subpoenas for 100 witnesses have already been issued at the instance of the prosecution. If Judge Douglas once lets down the gates, the fields will be rich. That's Crime News for the 30th of March, 1886. Please join me again for another episode of A Year of Crime is reported in the newspapers of West Tennessee.